Amen. I guess I forgot to tell you to buckle up your seatbelts. Let's say thank you to Tony LeBron one more time. Thank you, Tony. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. Today we are uh, taking a break from our series through the book of Romans as we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. And we're taking a pause for just a moment for me to address the question that is plaguing many of our hearts, and that is a biblical response to terrorism. Today I was told by the Lord to deliver a message from Nehemiah chapter 1 to speak to all of us today about how it is that we are to respond when bad things happen. Our city has been gripped by fear for many days. Orlando has been in the spotlight nationally and around the world for three horrible incidents that all happened within the same period of time. The senseless killing of Christina Grimmy, professing believer, a follower of Christ, and shot dead following her performance. The little boy that was attacked and there in Disney World. And then ultimately the horrific act of terrorism that occurred last Sunday morning. All of these events have, have plagued and plunged our city into incomprehensible and unimaginable suffering and grief. This time of uncertainty, this time of terror, this time of stark fear has produced a time of tears. We wonder, how in the world could this happen in our own city? It's surreal, isn't it? All the events that happened this past week, it's something that's supposed to be out of a Hollywood movie, but yet it happened right before our very eyes. How are we to respond to these tragedies? How do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, help turn these tragedies into victories for America, for our community, for our own families, for our own lives? There's a man in the Bible whose name is Nehemiah. He faced great tragedy and great terror. He lived in a time when his nation was ultimately destroyed. His, the, his people, the children of Israel, carried away into captivity. Then after years of torment and tragedy, they were released to go back to their homeland. A few went back to the great city of Jerusalem. They began to rebuild. They rebuilt their homes, and to some degree, they rebuilt the city. They rebuilt the temple of worship, but still on the ground around that great city of Jerusalem laid the walls still in rubble. The great walls of the city of Jerusalem were not rebuilt. 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem sat a man by the name of Nehemiah, a cupbearer of the king. Not a prophet, not a priest, not a preacher, but a cupbearer. A man who cared. And he inquired about his city. He was a Jew. He inquired about his city, Jerusalem. And he learned that the walls had been not yet rebuilt. When he heard the news, it shocked him. It drove him to his knees. And he went from his knees and he, he went into action. And he was the catalyst and to, to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. We find his story as a journal, in essence, in the Old Testament. And a book that is named after him, Nehemiah. Join with me as we see how Nehemiah responded in these days in his time of terror. We'll begin reading in verse number three. Nehemiah chapter one, verse three. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble, great terror, great fear, and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. 
As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Father, we pray that you will bless the reading, the preaching, and the proclamation of your word today. Father, may our hearts be open to hear a message, the message, the word that you would have us to hear today. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen. Three things that I believe that we see here from our text of scripture that that show us how we are to respond in time of tragedy, in time of terror. Number one, we are to respond in brokenness. We are to respond in brokenness. When Nehemiah received the report of the distress of his city and his people, the walls of the city broken down, the gates burned. It was like a fire that hit him right in the gut. Though he was miles and miles and miles away, he had no personal responsibility per se. And the tearing down of the walls, he took it very personally. Last week, our city was attacked. A terrorist attack hit our city. Of course, people are angry at this attack. People are angry, but rather than than anger, the church of Jesus Christ should express anguish. Our response is not to respond in anger. Our response is to respond in anguish, in brokenness. As Nehemiah heard the events that had transpired, instead of shaking his fist at, at God, he cried out to God from a broken heart. Today, people are asking a lot of questions about God. Questions like, how in the world could a good God allow things like this to happen? Dear friend, I want to answer that question the best way I possibly can this morning. The answer to that question is this. God has given each and every one of us an awesome privilege. It's the privilege of choice, personal choice. One way of life, our way of life here as Americans is based upon this freedom that God has placed in our heart. Our nation was founded based upon this freedom, the freedom of choice. We are free men and free women, and God has given us this powerful choice. But sometimes our choices can hurt others. We've all experienced people who made a choice that that hurt us. That's true personally, but it's also true corporately. We, we see this on an international, even on a city level. People's choices have ramifications. Now, God could have taken 
God could have taken away the freedom, even the freedom of this terrorist. But had he taken away his freedom and made him a puppet on a string, God would have to do the same for the whole world because God's ways are consistent. With so many questions forming this week, the senselessness of, of all of it, the one thing that I do know is this, our real enemy is Satan. He's the ultimate enemy. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That thief is Satan. He comes to kill and he comes to steal and he comes to destroy. He's called a liar and a murderer. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Understand that the war on terror did not begin with 9-11, and it surely did not end this past weekend. This fight, this war has been going on ever since time began. A war between God and Satan, a war between good and evil, and this week we've seen the war. We've seen the face of evil in, in this brutal and ungodly attack upon Orlando and upon our nation. Now we see once again the insidious and the invisible enemy of our souls. Don't you understand that Satan often disguises himself in the cloak of religion? Have you noticed that the news agencies are already beginning to run with a different story? They're attempting to rewrite the script of what happened last week. Have you noticed that? Do not Forget, it was a radicalized religious terrorist who shot up that nightclub. And can I say to you that any religion, every religion which breeds hate and murder and terror and fear is not of God. Jesus goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that I, that I may give you life and life more abundantly. You see, religion kills, Jesus gives life. Our God is not just the God of the Americans. Our God is the God of history, the God of destiny, the God of all nations. He's the God of all men and, and all women and those of us who need to return. We must return to the faith of our fathers. As Nehemiah said, we must return back to the faith of our fathers and in our brokenness build upon the foundations of these great men and women who came before us. These are the people that made our nation great. What are you feeling today? Are you feeling fear? Terror, shock, numbness, tragedy, anger. My prayer is that all of our hearts, not full of fear, not full of tragedy, but our hearts are full of brokenness. Brokenness for this world, brokenness for our city. 
You know, there's multiple times in the New Testament where Jesus wept and Jesus cried. One of those times was at the funeral of his best friend, Lazarus, who had died. The second time was when he overlooked Jerusalem and he said he, he began to, to cry and, and weep. The, the, the Greek word there is he, he began to, to, to the, the, the tears began to flow and they became his torrents. And he looked over his city, Jerusalem, and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that I would have brought you to me as a hen brings her chicks. But you have rejected me. You see, he poured out his heart and brokenness over the city, and I believe that's what our response should be. That we stand upon God's word, and yes, we believe uh, every, every word of God's word. But we stand in brokenness over the tragic events that have happened, pouring out tears over our city. Oh, that God would give, an, give us a broken heart for our city. Our second response is to respond through prayer. We respond in brokenness, but we also respond in prayer. Nehemiah, when he heard the news, he was broken, he hit his knees. And when he hit his knees, he began to pray. He fasted and he prayed. In fact, the scripture gives us a hint that, that this fasting and this prayer lasted for months. I pray that the desire to know God and to call upon his name in these days of tragedy, that they, these burdens that we share today will not go away with time. That we will not go back to business as usual. That we will never be the same. History tells us that that's what's going to happen. After 9-11, everybody came to church. Everybody was looking for answers. And then months turned into years and people went back to their old ways. May this not be the case for us. May this be a new day. May, may, may we not forget. May we not forget in times of devastation, in times of terror, in times of tragedy, in times of great hurt and pain, it's always a good idea to pray. This past Tuesday, the Lord placed on my heart to have a community-wide prayer service. We invited several Christian leaders from our own community. It's surprising how many didn't even respond to our request, but that's beside the point asking them to come and to join with us and, and simply pray. We're laying our theology aside. We're, 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 laying, we're laying these things aside, and we're coming to pray, and we're specifically praying for healing for our city and revival in our community. That was the point. We had a very reverent time. We've touched a lot of lives. In fact, I've not checked today, but as of yesterday morning, we have had over 1,400 people participate with that service, either in person or online. I keep hearing from people around the world about how God is touching them through this service that, 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 that we had on Tuesday. We're hearing from many different people about how they're touched. We had moderates and liberals and conservatives all come. And may I say that not one word was said from this pulpit that was contrary to God's word? And every one of us held hands there at the end and, and prayed for our community and prayed for revival. It was a beautiful thing. I believe that God began a work on Tuesday night. I do believe that. But I have caught just a little flack from a very small minority of people. People who aren't even members of this church, it's really not worth mentioning but I, I'm talking about it because I want us to understand something that's very, 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 very important. 
Dear Christian, if we are so closed-minded that we are unable to pray with brothers and sisters in our own faith who may hold different beliefs than we do, however, they believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. If we become like the Pharisees and have our hearts hardened, we shake our fists in the face of those innocent lives that were lost. 49 beautiful people who lost their lives, had all of their lives in front of them and all of them taken too soon. For anyone to shame this community, for anyone who wants to shame me or this church or the members of this church, telling us that we should not gather together of people of the faith to pray with people to, 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 who do not look like us, who do not talk like us, who do not believe like us. If that's your religion, I don't want it. No, thank you. No, thank you. You see, if we cannot cross denominational lines with other churches and pray, pray, all we did was pray. If we cannot cross denominational lines and pray for revival, then I'm afraid you're not going to like heaven at all. Here's a little secret I want to let you in on. It's not just Baptists that are going to heaven. Those tongue-speaking, pew-jumping, aisle-running, charismatics are going to be in heaven. We got a couple of charismatics over here, I guess. Those Methodists that don't even have a baptistry in their church, they're going to be in heaven. Those Presbyterians that only believe the elect, they're going to be in heaven. Anyone and everyone who repents of their sin invites Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life, that person, despite what denomination and what church they go to, that person who repents and responds and receives Christ, that person will be in heaven. The church family, if we really want revival, if we really want revival, God has got to break through some hearts. Now, I know this is not easy to listen to, I'm giving you your money's worth today, okay? I told you, equal opportunity offender today. If we really want revival, God is going to have to move into the hearts of people who have placed a wall, who have placed a blockade in their life. Some of you here today have experienced a spiritual terror attack at some point in your life, and you have responded very naturally. When, when something bad happens that's not supposed to happen, our response is to clam up, to shut down, to push out, to shut out, to, to push others away. You place a blockade, you place a wall, and you don't let anyone cross. Someone hurts you in your past, what do you do? You build a wall. Everybody's talking about building walls today. Why don't we talk about building walls? You build a wall. Somebody hurts you, you build a wall in your heart. Your child died, you build a wall in your heart. Your husband or your wife walked out on you, and despite the fact that you love them, they walked out of you, and they said that, I don't love you anymore, and they walked out and they divorced you. What do you do? You build a wall in your heart. You can't get pregnant, even though you've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. You don't want to be hurt anymore. I don't want to experience this hurt. I don't want to experience this pain. So what do you do? You build a wall in your heart. 
your dad or your mom, they walked out on you. Maybe your dad told you you're not going to ever amount to anything. Maybe your mom told you you're never going to amount to anything. And what did you do at a young age? You, you put a blockade. You built a wall in your heart. What do we do when we're hurt? We build a wall. What, what's the point of the wall? It's to block us from any hurt or pain to ever get back into our heart. We experience hurt. We experience pain. And so I'm going to build a wall and I'm going to vow this day, I will never let anybody hurt me the way that person hurt me. I will never let, I can control, I can control this. That person hurt me. I gave them freedom. I gave them my heart. I gave them my love. I gave them everything that I am. And I am telling you this day, I'm building a wall and not one person is going to hurt me that way again. Sound familiar? We do it all the time. See, the beautiful thing about the body physically is that when you hurt yourself, if you cut yourself, your body, your brain will actually send endorphins to that place of pain to where you're not going to feel that pain. Have you ever touched a a hot stove and you don't feel the, the, the heat and the warmth until seconds later after you touch it? You see, our, our body responds and, and when pain happens, our body responds by clamming up and, and rejecting that the pain is there. And what's true physically is very true spiritually. That, that when bad things happen, when we get hurt and we feel pain, we clam up and we shut down and you say, I will block anything from my heart. But here's the reality. If you let nothing come into your heart, then nothing's going to flow out of your heart. If you block the flow in, the flow coming out is going to be blocked as well. And so you may have successfully blocked the pain from coming into your heart. You may have blocked the relationships who, who a person is never going to hurt you the same way. You've blocked it. You put the wall up. You blocked it. You're not going to feel emotions or, or feeling coming in. You're not going to feel, uh, feel hurt again. However, you're not going to have feelings coming out. You've blocked the pain from coming in, but you've blocked the passion from getting out. You've blocked the, the, the hurts from coming in, but you've blocked the happiness from coming out. So many Christians need to hear this message today. This message has been a long time coming because we're all guilty of it. We have a heart problem. We have a blockage in our spiritual heart. And it's keeping you from receiving God's blessings in your life. My prayer for you this day is that you stop building a wall in your life and you allow the Lord to open up your heart, allow his goodness and grace to flow. I know you've been hurt. I know it's not fun. I know we want all the answers. I know it's not fair. But friend, you're missing out on the blessings of God because you're blocking him and his people out. You say, well, the things that happened, it wasn't ever supposed to be that way. Things didn't turn out the way that I wanted. I learned a long time ago that you will never be able to receive what God has planned for you until you release what you have planned for yourself. 
you will never be able to receive what God has planned for you until you release what you had planned for yourself. We all have hopes and dreams and a future. We all have plans of, of a family and, and kids and, and marriage that's supposed to last. We're, we have all these hopes and dreams, and that's not a bad thing. But can I tell you that life happens? Many lives were lost this past week. Many dreams were shot. Many hopes were, were plunged into darkness and shattered. It's not wrong to have hopes and dreams and plans. However, when your dreams and hopes and plans do not materialize, your response should not be to build a wall and allow your heart to, your heart to become hardened. You see, dear friend, God is in control. His plan is working itself out. And if you had as much faith in his plan as you did in your own plan, then you would see God work through your terrible situation. But you see, the problem is we have more faith in what we want than what God is doing. That's backwards. We have more faith in, in, in what I hope for, what I want, and what I dream. Our faith is placed there. But what God says, our faith must be placed in him. You see, we cannot see beyond ourselves. We can't see into tomorrow. God is eternal, which means he lives in yesterday. He lives in today, but he also lives in tomorrow. I don't understand why bad things happen. But I understand this, that God's in control. And we may not ever have the answers to our questions of why. But I do know this, that if you are living your life and building a wall in your life because of bad things that happen, you are not trusting God. Break down the walls and begin to trust him. Do you know how to break down the walls of your heart? The best way I know how to break down the wall when I build walls in my own life is through worship. Have you ever noticed that when you truly worship that you cannot be, have bitterness in your heart when you truly worship? I, I'm not just saying singing songs. I, I'm, I'm talking about truly worshiping God. When you truly worship God, you may be angry at somebody. You may be mad at somebody. You may, you may be fighting with your spouse. But when you truly worship God, after that worship moment, you're going and asking for forgiveness and repentance. You see, worship has a way of breaking down walls. Also prayer. That's what Nehemiah did was prayer. He had prayer for healing. Prayer for healing. Life's tragedies take time to heal. Seeking God in prayer is essential. An unknown Christian once wrote, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Nehemiah prayed, verse 5, notice what he says. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He prayed to the great and, and awesome God, a God who is able, a God who keeps his promises. This is a time for us to clarify our values, to remember what is important. When we pray, we, we remember the importance of our faith and our families. The best things in life, in times like this, we realize the best things in life you cannot buy. The best things in life are our families and our friends. Who has it in response to these tragedies? Hug your children a little bit closer. Held the hand of your spouse just a little bit tighter. 
called somebody on the phone and told them just one more time that I love you. You see, our church, our, our churches must, must pray for healing because, you see, that breaks down the wall, but also a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of healing, but he also had a prayer of confession. Nehemiah, it wasn't his fault that the walls were knocked down. It wasn't his fault. He was living thousands of miles away. He wasn't even born yet when the walls got destroyed. But here's Nehemiah, and he says in verses 5 and 6, he, he, he called out his sin. He said, not only has our nation sinned, but I have sinned. My father, my father's house have sinned. Millions are living in sin and immorality in these God-blessed United States. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've become a nation which has forgotten God. Some seek to remove God from every, uh, of every place, every area in the public square, in our government, in our schools. We must repent of our national sins. But it's not just nationally that's the problem. It's also locally, very close to home. Our families are falling apart. Our churches are often cold and carnal. Some are even unbelieving. We have become a nation of secularists and humanists who don't fear God. Well, I, I, I do not believe that this vicious attack of enemies of our nation is a judgment of God. I don't believe that. I do believe, however, that God can use this terrible tragedy to bring us back to repentance and faith. Notice that Nehemiah made it personal. He didn't just leave it with the, the, the corporate. He made it personal. He prayed for the nation. The Lord would bring reconciliation and forgiveness to the nation. But he also said, me and my father's house, verse 6, he said, I have sinned. He said, it's oh me, Lord, it's, it's me that, that stands in the need of prayer. You see, it's very easy to be able to point our finger at people who don't live like us, who don't talk like us, who don't act like us, who don't have the same preferences as us. It's easy to point out somebody else's sin, but dear friend, don't you realize, don't you realize that you too have sin? Jesus said, he who has no sin, you can cast the first stone. Before you begin to look at the speck of sin in your brother's eye, you need to take care of the two-by-four, the plank that's in your own eye. Before we begin casting stones and, and saying, these people deserved it, or this, or that, or this, or that, listen, we all deserve it. We all deserve death. Not one of us deserves the grace and mercy of God. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, he repented, he prayed. Our third response, brokenness, prayer, and then also faith. Verse 9, notice what he says. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're outcast in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. We have to be very careful of taking the promises of God and applying them to ourselves, especially when a promise like this is meant for a specific purpose, a specific people, at a specific place, and a specific time. That's what this is. This was a fulfillment of prophecy that God had given to Jeremiah and to Isaiah, that even though uh, they're going to be scattered, God is going to bring them back to Jerusalem. This is a prophecy that was fulfilled. Now, while we cannot claim this exact prophecy, we can claim the spirit of this prophecy. The spirit of this prophecy applies to us today. The truth that, that when God's people respond to God's word, that he responds by restoring their land. 2 Chron Chronicles 7.14 
if my people who are called by my name, my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What we have to give to our city is what our city needs. What can you give to your city? What can you give to your community? What can you give to your nation? It's your faith. That's what we need. That's what they need out there. They need someone who is going to come alongside of them and love them. Jesus said that they will know that you are my disciples because you have love one for another. It's time to stop speaking. Hey, we can stand on God's word and we can call out sin all day long, but we must love the sinner. It's time to begin to put that into practice. To hate the sin, to turn away from the sin, to call out the sin, but to love the sinner. It's time for us to stand up by faith, to share our faith, to share our hope. We don't have a dead hope. I, I, I'm listening to, to, to our city speak, whether it was the soccer game last night or, or, or uh, so many of the vigils that are, be, that, that are being shared and, and, and they're talking about things. But dear friend, listen. If you remove Jesus Christ out of the equation, there is no hope. Jesus is our only hope. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, blessed be the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has borne us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We don't have a dead hope. We have a living hope. Our living hope is tied to our living Savior, and we have the living answer that our world, our city, our community needs. Let's take it there. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despite you. Do not give up. Do not live in fear. Live in faith.